and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five on a Secret Trail. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now. And come back when you've read it. March. I know. March is a, a great month. My favourite month. It's my birthday month. Um, and also, in a magical double whammy, this month was also Pancake Day. Mm-hmm. Month, which for some reason I always thought was in February, but no, it was March. Well, it depends when Easter is. So if Easter's early, then Pancake Day's in February. But if Easter's late, because Easter's a movable feast, which makes no sense at all, but let's not go into that. So it all depends on when Easter is, as to when Shrove Tuesday is, because it's the beginning of Lent. Well, I love Shrove Tuesday, aka Pancake Day, because I love going around to my mum's house, and she makes such good pancakes, like, better than I can make. And this year, guess how many I ate? Five. Yes! Oh my goodness, sorry! (laughs) I know, well done! No, I ate... I ate four, and then I was like, I was like, I want to have another one. I probably shouldn't have another one, because you know if you eat too much, then you just have that, like, uncomfortable feeling, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to ruin pancake day for me, but then I was just like, oh, they're so nice. So I went back for another, and then I didn't feel over full or sick, so it was just a massive success. Yeah, so that's already happened in March, and then it's going to be my birthday, and we're recording a podcast. Like, every everything is awesome. I need to tell you something about pancake day, Jan. Okay, but it can't be that you didn't eat pancakes. That's illegal. I absolutely ate pancakes. Woo. I had double pancakes because I had them the next day as well. Oh, that's fine. That's good. That's good going. Actually, um, this weekend just gone, we had pancakes as well. So, um, yes. So roughly one batch of pancakes a week in March. Yeah, you should have. You should definitely have more pancakes than just pancake day. There's probably a law about that too. Well, we, I say we, Alice and I went to stay at her granny and grandpa's on Pancake Day. So we had pancakes then. I say we, that's just me. Alice didn't have any. And then my mum made absolutely loads. And so we had them the next day as well. That's such like a classic mum move. Yeah, well done, mum. How many pancakes should I make for this many people? And it's like you just... You take the amount of people and then you like double it and then you make enough pancakes for that amount. And that's like the right amount of pancakes if you're a mum. You're going to discover this like, you know, in a few years when Alice is eating pancakes, you'll be like, how many pancakes will I make for just us? And you're going to make an enormous amount. And then I'll go, right, ring Auntie Jen and get her to come up. I've got pancakes <laughs> yeah. for her. I love pancakes. I'll, I'll come, I would come for pancakes. <laughs> Three and a half hour drive for pancakes. Yes can do shall we crack on with book number 15 five on a secret trail let's i I feel there's gonna be some cool background noise cool background noises of helena and pablo playing so if anyone hears cats in the background and it sounds like they're fighting they're actually having a good time so don't worry (laughs) so yeah let's crack on with the book there were no cats in this book disappointing because i thought at one point there was definitely going to be a So on the back of my book, it says, Anne and George are camping out and eagerly awaiting the boys' arrival. But one night, Anne sees a mysterious face at the window of the ruined cottage close by, and then the others see ghostly lights. 
Anne wants to go home, but the others are determined to stay. Who is snooping around the cottage? And why is a nearby gang trying to make the five leave? Ooh. Mine is uh, very short. Just two sentences. Oh, oh, sorry, three sentences. The famous five are camping near an old ruined cottage. Yeah. But is the cottage really abandoned? And his strange noises at night. But the others don't believe her. Then they see the ghostly light. The spook train. That was two sentences. Three. Ah, oh, I was going to say. Sounded quite yeah, long. Yeah, no, I, I said two and then I noticed um, that the then they see the ghostly lights was a sentence of its own. Even so, the bit before it were quite long sentences. They've both got a hyphen in the middle, so oh. it could have been, you know, more short sentences, but they... I'm actually quite a fan of a hyphen um, to make a sentence longer than it needs to be. Okay. In chapter one, Timmy is hurt. He cut his ear on some rusty barbed wire. The vet stitches him up and instructs George to make a big cardboard collar. George is not impressed, but as Timmy is going to wait until he's on his own to scratch, George has to make one. So Timmy is fixed with the cone of shame, and mm. Uncle Quentin laughs at him, and so does the milkman, who, if we remember in the last book, was going to get all of Aunt Fanny's secrets. George is so angry and miserable that everyone is laughing at Timmy. Timmy is not as upset as George, but she decides in the middle of the night to sneak off to camp. And I would like to know why she sneaks off, because she always goes camping. Mm. She leaves a note, and her parents are fine with not knowing their daughter's location. To be fair to them, uh, she got kidnapped a whole book ago, so she's probably fine <laughs> this one. Um, I, I was worried about Timmy, too, of course. But I did like when George took him to the vet and um, George, very anxious indeed, was most relieved to see that the vet seemed quite unconcerned. I think that having an unconcerned vet is a wonderful thing when you're really worried about your pet because um, like that happened to me when Pablo was ill um, earlier this year. I was so worried and the vet came around and she was like, no, he, he's fine. He's going to be fine. She was like, he's just feeling really sorry for himself at the moment. He'll probably throw up a bit more and then he'll be okay. And I was just <laughs> like, thank you so much. Thank you. I was so worried. You really made me feel better. Um, yeah, an unconcerned vet is a wonderful thing. And I love that Timmy wears a cone of shame, a homemade one made of cardboard with a lace. How wonderful. Well, interestingly, in the book that I've got I know you haven't got any illustrations mm. but in the book that I've got it's not actually a cone that he's wearing it is literally like he's put his head through a circle of cardboard Oh, it's flat, it's very strange I don't know if that's just, I can't remember if they refer to it as a cone but yeah in the pictures he looks it does look more like an Elizabethan ruff which is one of the things that's one of the insults that's thrown at him but that's true they do and they just refer to it as the big collar of cardboard the cardboard collar so yeah so maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't cone of shame back then no perhaps not it just had to be a barrier didn't it so yeah mm, interesting uh, yeah i don't have any pictures in my book but on the illustration on the front it's clearly at the ruined cottage and i mean I'm sure it's meant to be Julian, but it's a blonde boy outside, and I always think Dick is the blonde one. But anyway, there's uh, Julian slash Dick and Timmy outside looking at the spooky night lights, and Timmy has no collar. 
No mm. cone, nor collar of shame. And on the front of mine, it's all... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the drama unfolding. On the front of mine, it's all four of them. Uh, sorry, it's all five of them, I should say. They're running, and it's obviously near the end because Julian has a rope round his waist. <laughs> but Anne is dressed in a pink jumper and a sort of billowy white skirt and white sort of flat shoes she does not look dressed for adventure you would not wear a white skirt camping no although since the one where they all just wore their school blazers because they didn't have (laughs) coats i like i sort of really don't know what to think anymore i just i feel like they can have an adventure in any outfit at this point they're just they're so adept She's going to get cold legs. Oh, poor Anne. And speaking of Anne, in chapter two, she arrives at Kieran Cottage. The boys are in France, again, and Anne goes to meet George following the instructions on the note. They meet, and Anne doesn't laugh at Timmy because she's so kind. She's also brought heaps of food. I I do like that um, Anne describes Timmy as looking like a quaint old deer in his <laughs> collar. Bless her. Oh, Anne. Anne, I always love her. (laughs) George hears that the boys might not join them, which would mean no adventure, and is miserable. And she also refers to them as the famous five. So that must be a thing now. We've had it a couple of times. Yeah, I, I didn't actually notice it when she did it in this one, but I think they have started to refer to themselves as the famous five. Every so often. Because, you know, when they're becoming sentient, like at the end of the last book, I think George, you know, looked at the camera and said, The Famous Five. George has been camping by an old deserted cottage. They eat sandwiches and drink from a spring. Jen, they're drinking water. I am so glad the amount of hydration that happens in this book is incredible. This is the, <laughs> this is the best book for me on the hydration alone. As they relax in the heather, Timmy arrives back with a bone and they hear sharp metallic noises and decide to explore. I was frightened of the metallic noises. Sounds like some sort of robot uprising. But they weren't. They weren't frightened of that at all. No. In chapter three, they explore the cottage and daydreams out loud about animals in the yard when they hear animal noises and other noises. Then Timmy appears looking rather sheepish with a blue ribbon on his tail. (laughs) I love this. I can absolutely imagine a a dog looking sheepish is very, very funny. Mm -hmm. When they know that they should be ashamed because they've done something naughty and they've just got that look. But I want to know where, well, we're going to find out who did it in a minute, but where? why did he have a blue ribbon on him in the first place? I, I, yeah, I don't know. I loved this scene. It was so magical and strange, and I really didn't know what, why. Um, like When they started hearing all the animals, I was like, a secret farm underground? Like, I really, <laughs> I really didn't know what was going to happen. And then Timmy with his... His bright blue <laughs> bow. I, I mean, I just loved that. I was interested to find out where it was from, but just loved it. But George did not. Uh, the first thing she does, George tore the ribbon off his tail. She will not tolerate that. No. And eventually, Timmy leads them to a one-eyed mongrel. Anne is so surprised that she expects Timmy to find a cat next, and then they hear meowing. Oh, I was so excited when I heard the meowing. <laughs> George thinks she must find that cat, but discovers an, quote, idiot of a boy <laughs> hiding 
Timmy is a big fan of his dog called Jet. Mm, I loved Jet. Um, they all think he's an idiot. There's a bit where um, Anne asks him, um, you did all the clucking and quacking and harumphing. Anne liked this idiot of a boy with his broad, friendly grin. <laughs> so there we are. So being an idiot's not all bad. George suggests that he that the boy was the fat head who tied mm-hmm. the blue ribbon on his tail. Just for a joke, said the boy, you like frowning and glaring, I can see. Well, I like joking and tricking. I just thought he's met George for sort of 30 seconds and he realises that she likes frowning and glaring. <laughs> Her two top-listed hobbies, surely. <laughs> Special um, skills on your CV. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit... I mean, they always make such snap decisions about people. Like, George George and Anne have instantly decided this boy's an idiot because he made some animal noises. And he meets <laughs> them and he's like, well, you like frowning and glaring. And hold on a second. Flashback, I'm sure it's five go off to camp. Didn't Julian and friends and friends didn't julian and the others make animal noises to try and frighten cecil yes i'm sure they did yeah they're not above making animal noises yeah oh the boy whose name we don't know is digging in a roman camp he shows them a coin he doesn't want the girls to go to the dig site and he won't go near their camp and they all agree Anne likes him Anne likes everyone Anne does like everyone you have to be a definite, absolute villain for Anne to dislike you. Yeah, yeah. In chapter four, George and Anne go for a walk, and when they head back to the camp, they hear whistling. It's that boy again. George challenges him, saying, you said you wouldn't come near. The boy denies that he made that promise, and so they threaten to go to the Roman camp, and he says that they can. The girls are so confused. I was also so confused. They sleep under the stars. Anne wakes up, very thirsty, and heads for the spring. On her way back, she gets confused of the way and sees lights coming from the cottage. She makes her way back to George and wakes her. In chapter 5, Anne tells George the whole story. They head off to the cottage, but there were no lights and no noise. Even Timmy finds no one. George accuses Anne of dreaming, and Anne gets cross. The next day, they go to the Roman dig site to see the boy. It was well dug, and the boy scowled and accused them of breaking their promise. They leave angry, and then they see the boy again. How has he got there? He calls them Potty, and he says he's been there for a long time. Very strange. Mm. They have a swim and head back to Kieran Cottage for more food. Aunt Fanny says Julian and Dick may be here in a day or two. What fun! Yes, I quite liked that it was just the girls, and... I mean, I understand why George was disappointed that the boys weren't there, but I didn't like it when she, when she said that. Girls, 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 and dog, <laughs> the famous five, but just Anna, George, and Timmy. Oh, and then uh, the one boy, definitely not more than one. No, just one boy who's... Just one boy. ...is different each time they see him. Yep, just like all <clears throat> boys, normal boys. totally believable and realistic thing that would happen in chapter six Anne and george return to the camp and that evening george checks the cottage there's nothing there the next day they go for a swim and on the way they see that boy and he assures them he's going nowhere near their camp when they get to the pool somebody is already there it's the boy how confusing it's the night time and suddenly there's a thunderstorm 
They run into the cottage to shelter and try to settle down. Timmy doesn't and he starts barking his head off. I was frightened when they were in the cottage because Timmy was acting, I don't know, like a bit of a heffalump earlier in the story, you know. He's just kind of like mooching around, taking a bone off a stranger, letting people tie a little bow on his tail. But then he gets into real Timmy mode and is barking at something. And, you know, that that always signifies danger. I was, I was genuinely... I had a chill. I was quite frightened. And storms are never good. In the Famous Five, we know storms normally bad. <clears throat> yeah. Nothing good ever happened in a storm. That's true. And in this storm, Chapter 7, George thinks that it is the storm that's frightening Timmy. But he settles, but then starts again. Anne decides she'd like to look out of the window <laughs> to see the countryside lit up by the lightning. As you do. As Anne would do. Yes. When it did, Anne saw people. George tells us she saw trees, but then they see a face at the window. <laughs> You're laughing, but I was I was actually chilled when I read this. That was that was a frightening piece of story. I'm laughing because if this podcast was successful enough to have merch, it would be face at the window on a t shirt. Oh yes. They're very scared. But to make themselves feel better, they play the animal game. And then they hear Timmy snoring. It's a comfort, but they carry on with their game and get to M as dawn breaks. George feels braver in the light and doesn't want to return to Kieran Cottage. Anne says she's going back. If the boys were there, it would be different. They feel very tired in the light and fall asleep. They're woken up by Jet the dog. The boy said he came to see if they were okay. and He leaves. Then the boy is there again, asking if they were okay. The girls are cross, as they've already told him. I just snorted when I saw your next note there. In capitals, I just wrote, why doesn't he say he's a twin? Yeah, I I started um, working on an alternative theory around this point, because this is such a mysterious book so far. But I put a little note in saying they're obviously not twins, because I can't believe that Anne and George would be that, just sort of that dense. Like, you know, if you see the same person, but they keep acting like they're two different people, like, it's probably two people that look alike, but they just kept thinking it was the same person, so I thought, what if it's clones? <laughs> what if there's some kind of cloning factory, and these are actually the same boy? And then I thought, the Roman camp, it's obviously a clone factory, and I actually have put a little note saying... It's probably like in Lord of the Rings where they just make all of the uh, orcs, you know, mm. down in the ground. It's like that's what the Roman camp is. When they go there later in the books, I'm sure that is what they're going to discover. So you thought after 14 books, Enid Blyton was dipping her toe into the world of sci-fi <laughs> fantasy. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, that would be a shock halfway through if just suddenly it was robots. But, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it just... It... <laughs> It just because I I didn't know that they were twins. I mean, you know, strongly suspected um, <laughs> the realistic part of me. But it just it goes on so long, and it's actually it's not until I think it's the end of chapter fourteen that we find out that they're twins. Like it goes on a long time. Yes, it is. It's the end of chapter fourteen, page a hundred in my book of one hundred and fifty-five. Yeah. So uh, for me, there's um. There's 50 more pages of the clone 
the clown mister. George doesn't want to return to Kieran Cottage, so they pack up and they hear voices and Timmy goes crazy wagging his tail. It's Julian and Dick. Hurrah! The five were all together once more. Yay. That must be the longest that they've been apart because I think Anne and George have been without the boys before, but I don't think it's ever been eight chapters. No, I had a similar thought. It was a it was a long time. I mean, it's a good uh, third of the book when it's just the mm. girls. In chapter mm. eight, everyone is very excited. The boys come home early. They flew. Ooh. They call Timmy comical. And Anne is worried what George will think, but she just laughs. Anne is about to say that George is upset by people laughing at Timmy, but George doesn't want her to. There's a lot of beseeching looks as Anne doesn't want the boys to know she was scared. <laughs> Aunt Fanny has packed them a huge lunch and so they eat. George is so happy in this book. Dick brought mustard. <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Dick brought mustard. <laughs> and then I wrote, I imagine he always travels with condiments. <laughs> does actually that just it seems like a very dick thing because it's our um fantasy future for the children that dick i think he grows up to be a very good cook or yes in the fantasy future he does yeah yeah. um yeah so so i mean this is his early start just always traveling with condiments and how much mustard do they eat? Because we hear a lot more about the ham later in the book, but we don't hear anything else about mustard. So do they just eat a whole jar of mustard I, between them? I dread to think. And they, Then they could use the mustard jar as another cup. Yes, because Dick's got mug. mustard, but nobody's got a cup. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although is this where they eat the pineapple, or is that a bit I later? I can't remember, but yes, they do then have another receptacle after that. <laughs> it was good they've never had to worry about uh you know receptacles for fluids before because they've <laughs> usually got you know one bottle of lemonade <laughs> and then they're like well that's done great <laughs> but this they 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 really they had a lot to figure out a lot of logistics once you start actually They talk about the night's events and about the strange boy. The children decide to stay to find out all about these strange things, including the boy. They unpack in the cottage and head off. There was a missed opportunity here for Anne to um, be like, everybody go away so I can play house. (laughs) I always find it very endearing when she does that. But I like to think that was happening in the background. Yeah, I like to think that maybe Dick or George were putting something somewhere and then Anne was just picking it up and putting it somewhere else that was more sensible. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Good. Good job, Anne. In chapter nine, the five see the boy reading a book and they decide as he won't be at the Roman site, they'll go and explore it. But he's there again. He says that he's been there all afternoon and he says the camp is his father's and shows them the Roman things he's found. I love their theory, by the way, that he sees them and then he just runs really fast (laughs) so that he can, like, see them again in a bit. Like... I really like, you know, how many times that comes up and they're like, gosh, he must be a really fast runner. Yeah, like he's got nothing else to do (laughs) than sit around waiting for them and then suddenly take off at speed. (laughs) Like throwing his book over his shoulder. 
Yeah. And suddenly... Run down to the dig. And suddenly getting the dog from somewhere. Because if he's the same person, the dog would be with him all the time. But the dog is only with... Anyway. That's the, like, deeper part of the um the deception. But what... If they thought about it, they'd be like, oh, half the time, the dog is not there. I mean, it. it I think it lasts 14 chapters because they just don't think about it. No. They just take it as face value. Well, he's a mad boy. <laughs> yeah, they go okay, to... Le- let's have another drink of water. <laughs> What's in the water? Oh, gosh, yeah, because previously we wondered if maybe they were hallucinating because they were so dehydrated, and now they're drinking a lot, but they're just as mad as ever, so... Mm. Who knows? Who knows? Dick goes on a wander, and he sees a rabbit disappear behind a slab of stone. He looks behind the slab with his torch and sees a huge hole, too wide for a rabbit hole. He goes and asks the boy what it could be. The boy says it was for storage or something, nothing interesting. George sees a shelf of other finds and asks if they belong to him. He says no and they're not to touch them, and he shouts at George when she does. The boy complains of other people hanging around. Julian wonders if it's any of the people that Anne and George saw. Apparently Jet barked in the night too. Finally! We find out his name, Guy Lordler, and he has a famous father. This um, actually added to my clone theory because his name being Guy, that is like the most I am a human being name, but without any imagination. Um, My name is Guy. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And I was like, what's like the other one going to be called? Like, is his name just literally going to be human boy or... (laughs) Boy, man. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Person. Fellow, lad, (laughs) chap. Yeah. So I was really, I was really interested to find out what the other one was called. But of course, we don't find that out for, you know, a good few more chapters. The five say goodbye and head off for a swim. And then they see Guy in the pool. They shout, hey, Guy. The boy shouts that his name isn't Guy and runs away. There you are. He's mad after all, said Anne. Don't bother about him. And everyone's just like, okay. Let's Nobody get goes back in the water. We love water. Nobody goes. Well, what is your name then? Well, that's true. And also, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or just I, when I said it, it. We weren't recording, but they must have been wearing the same outfits. Oh no, have we revealed that it's twins yet? Yes, by the way? we have accidentally. So sorry, if, <laughs> sorry if that was going to be a massive surprise for anyone. But yes, it does. It turns out they're twins. I think you said that before we were recording. When one's swimming and one isn't, they're not wearing the same thing. So that's a little bit of a... I think <laughs> there's if, been two occasions what where... What Guy 2 actually was swimming in his, <laughs> in his Guy outfit? Because it doesn't specify he's not. No, that's there true. Is, there is nothing in the text that says <laughs> Guy in his bathing suit. So... <laughs> Oh dear. Back at the cottage, the five eat and explore the cottage again. I mean, how many times can they explore this cottage? It can't be huge. No, I... No, but they, you know, they just... They get their money. They need to, to get the plot moving. They look round the outhouses and George notices that a bit of floor has been lifted since her and Anne explored it the other day. They decide to lift it themselves. Chapter 10 is entitled, What Can Be Happening? What can be happening? Who knows? Who knows, except for the fact that it's twins! I know. I mean, it's chapter 10, and it's called What Can Be Happening, which is actually a pretty good summary of the book thus far. I really enjoyed this one. 
but it is strange. They lift the stone, but there's nothing there. Anne imagines the men found the wrong stone, and Julian thinks there must be something interesting under another stone. He thinks someone is urgently searching for something. They agree to stay on and try and solve the mystery. They look for footprints where there was a face at the window, and they see where the man has stood. Dick measures them and makes a note of the markings. Size eight shoes. How does he know? Like, how does he know that so many centimetres is a size eight? I don't know. He... I really liked that part because he just sort of turns into like a baby detective and Mm. he says um dick got out a piece of paper from where we don't know i rather think i'll measure these he said and make a note of the pattern on the soles they had rubber soles and heels look at the markings crepe rubber i should think i mean is he a shoe expert or is he like an expert detective Oh, here, look, size eight shoes, he said. Same as yours, Jew. But, I I mean, unless he asked Julian to put his foot in. No, and he says same as yours. So, unless he secretly measures the the length (laughs) of his brother's shoes when his brother... Maybe that's Dick's, like, special interest. You might know that your brother's a size eight, but you wouldn't know the... (laughs) I don't know. No, because, I mean, even... For example, a very basic one. I know my own shoe size, but if I looked at just an imprint of a shoe, I wouldn't be like, hmm, oh, a, a seven like me. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, another of Dick's special skills. Usually it's <clears throat> Timmy who has a like newly discovered special skill on a book, but in this one, it's Dick. Well, that mustard's obviously done him some good. <laughs> yes. And astonishingly... Dick doesn't feel hungry. In fact, none of them do. I was really uh, confused about that. When it said, when Dick said, I don't really feel hungry, I thought they'd say, well, let's eat anyway. Um, But no, everyone's like, no, me neither. But they do eat anyway. They still have cake and biscuits. Yeah. But don't they say that if you feel hungry, have a drink, because sometimes you're actually thirsty rather than hungry? I don't think they actually say that. Do they? That would have been really something. No, 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 not the Famous Five. I think oh, in, like, in real life. In yes. real life, I think people say yes. that's advice, isn't it? That's true. So maybe that's why the Famous Five are hungry all the time as well. Oh my gosh, it's because they never drink. We have revealed so many things. Yes, and that's why they all are saying, oh, I'm not really that hungry. It's because they're all hydrated. Yeah. This is where the pineapple um, tin comes. Ah. They each had a drink of pineapple juice and spring water. George had the bright idea of filling the big empty pineapple tin, and they each filled a mug from it in turn and drank. <laughs> oh, they just drink so much. <laughs> oh. Good for them. They decide to sleep inside the cottage, dragging in Heather for their beds, and they fall asleep. Julian wonders if the people have a map and it shows the wrong slab or if they misread the map. And then I read this bit and I just thought it was lovely because we're both big dog lovers and I just thought this was nice. Timmy was asleep too, happy because all the others were under his care. He had one ear open as usual, but not very much open. It was enough to let him hear a small mouse of some kind run across the floor. It was even enough for him to hear a beetle scraping its way up the wall. After a while, his ear dropped down and he didn't even hear a hedgehog outside. But something caused his ear to listen again, and it pricked up. A noise crept inside the cottage, a noise that got louder and louder, a weird, puzzling noise. Timmy woke up and listened. 
He pawed at George, not knowing whether to bark or not. He knew he should not bark at owls, but this was not an owl. Perhaps George would know. Mm. I just think that's lovely of Timmy. And of all dogs. Yeah. Yeah, they are so sweet, aren't they? And good. They such are. a good boy. George wakes and hears the noise, like a whining and wailing of misery and woe. She wakes the boys and Anne. It's a horrible sound, and out of the window they see blue and green lights and a white light. They're very confused. Julian heads out with Timmy. The noise stops and the lights fade. Julian returns puzzled. They'll have to find out in the morning. In chapter 11, Anne wants to go back to Kieran Cottage. Julian says the sound stopped as soon as he got near and the lights seemed high up and Timmy didn't find anyone. Julian agrees to go home, but first he'd like to test something. He thinks someone wants to search the cottage and is trying to scare the five away. They decide to have a hunt the next day and if they find nothing, they'll go home. They try to sleep. In the morning, the boys wake George and Anne. They go for a swim and see the boy. They ask him if his name is Guy this morning or not. Come on, famous five! They ask him if he saw or heard anything strange in the night. He said he heard a wailing. Then they see Guy again, except... Oh, come on. They try and work out where the noise and lights came from. Anne thinks someone could have been in the trees. They all agree. Then they find a balloon skin that must have been lit up from inside somehow. Right. This is important because as I was reading this, I realised that they meant it was lit up from inside the balloon. Now, I used to watch the 70s TV show, as you know, and I could probably quote the episode off by heart. For all these years, I thought that the balloons had been in the trees and then lit up from inside the cottage. So Julian comes back into the cottage in the night saying there's nothing out there. And I thought he meant that there were no lights out there because they could only see from inside the cottage because they were lit up in from inside the cottage. And now I see that I am a fool. Ah. It makes absolutely no sense. But I promise you, that's what I thought for all these years. And again, if I'd have thought about it properly, the logistics of that are ridiculous. Because how how would you light something up? The light I thought the light source was in the cottage shining onto the balloons. But then, of course, yeah. you would still have seen them from outside. I don't know. But the way that Julian in the 70s TV show comes back in and he goes, nothing, there's nothing out there. I thought he meant there was no lights and they could only see them from the cottage. Uh, well, I get it now. It's okay. <laughs> You've you've finally figured it out. <laughs> you can turn a new chapter now. <sighs> they decide to stay, as even Anne won't be scared by silly tricks. Julian says they should pretend to leave so they can spy on the people who want to search the cottage. In chapter 12, Dick winds Anne up about them being spied on when a countrywoman comes past. <laughs> she asks if they're camping. Julie explains that they're going. They've had enough of strange noises. He tells her everything and Anne questions him on this. Julian says he was certain she was one of the gang, as no farm woman would have gold fillings and smooth hands. The five head off to a new camp in a gorse bush, and Timmy is allowed his collar off, and Anne thinks that Timmy looks undressed now. And Mm. I identify with that, because when Shadow has her collar off, if it gets wet, my dad takes her collar off her, and I just go, nudie trudy, and she dances about. Yes. With our dogs, always the same thing. When they didn't have their collars on, it would be like, oh my god, they're naked. 
<laughs> they do look undressed when they don't have it on. And especially if Timmy's been wearing a big collar. Yeah, it would look strange. Yeah. He's a nudie Trudy now. <laughs> In chapter 13, the five are eating and making up food for the boys to take on their all-night watch. Anne worries about the boys. I would worry about them too because Julian takes two slabs of chocolate for each of them. I mean, I would worry that they were taking too much chocolate and there'd be none for me. <laughs> They're definitely going to have enough provisions. Definitely. They didn't take anything to drink, though. No. <laughs> they're so hydrated, they don't need to. No, they're, they're enough. They're hydrated probably to get us through until the end of book 21. <laughs> the girls go to sleep wondering if the boys are having an exciting time. They're not. They crept into the cottage and found no one. Then they see people arriving. The boys hid by the chimney. Someone comes round to do a check, but doesn't spot them. The people appear to have a map. One of them is called Jess. That was the lady who wasn't the farm woman. They hear them say that they've searched the Roman camp but couldn't find a slab that size. They're looking for blueprints that Paul stole. And the map has wader written on it, though the D might be a T making it water. They look for a slab by water and decide to pull up one by the sink. In chapter 14, after pulling up the slab, one exclaims, There is no secret way! The people start arguing amongst themselves. One is fed up. The boys hear that they intend to search the Roman camp again and deal with someone there. Julian and Dick are glad when they leave. They're stiff from sitting still. They said they'd better warn Guy. They return to the Gorsebush den and tell George and Anne everything. They plan to tell the police. In the morning, they hear someone crying and head towards him. It's Guy, but he says Guy's gone. And finally, the boys reveal that they're twins. Do-do-do-do! I know, finally. The end of chapter 14. And we still don't know this other boy's name, but no. twins. Twins! Why on earth didn't we think of that before, said Julian? We thought there was only one of you. You were never together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad they got it eventually. <laughs> All this new water in their brains, like they just, you know, they've all lost the plot of it. <laughs> This boy, Guy's twin, quarrelled with Guy and now he's gone. Then he fell down a trench and bust his leg. In chapter 15, Anne comforts the boy and binds his leg with a hanky. His name is Harry. And he and Guy have fallen out and pretending the other didn't exist. However, they were still in very close proximity to each other and clearly wearing the same clothes. Yes. Unless the five thought he was a quick change comedian as well. <laughs> I I love quick changes. Have I ever told you that? I think you might ha have. Because it, it doesn't seem like a surprise to me. And I'm sure you recommended me some good quick change videos on YouTube. Because yes, I saw it on I like did. a variety show. And then I said to you, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And you were like, well, if you liked that. In hmm. uh, Disneyland Paris, there's a show called Mickey and the Magician. And Elsa sings Let It Go. And she starts off, she's in one costume. And then the lights flash and she twirls and suddenly she's in the blue ice costume. Oh, that's so cool. And I am not ashamed to say, Jen, that I burst into tears when that happened because I'm a very Aww. emotional person. Yeah, and it was magical. It, it, uh, it Quick changes do look magical. If you do them right, they're amazing. The costumes, yeah, the way that they're made it. as well is incredible. Anyway, he's not a quick change comedian as far as we know. 
No, and he wasn't dressed as Elsa, as far as we know. <laughs> but there's nothing that in the text. That was a matching costume. <laughs> he tells them that some people came to look at the camp and Guy was rude, and he thinks they've taken him. They head back to their camp and eat, obviously. George goes to get water from the stream and sees some slabs and realises that it could be one of those and speeds back to fetch Julian. So that's why there's been a stream the whole time for them to drink from, because they needed it for the plot. Mm. Well, I hope they need more streams for the plot because it's been very healthy for them. They try and move one of the slabs and Harry fetches tools. When they jemmy it open, they see a large hole and a tunnel and they decide to explore it. I would not have wanted to do that, but... No, because quite often they find sort of tunnels that are seem much more secure and they can sort of stand up in or just have to bow their heads yeah. a little bit. But it seemed at some points in this they were crawling through tunnels that really were quite dangerous. Yeah, this one, it made me feel a little bit claustrophobic as well, some of it, especially the bits where they're saying, like, Julian struggled to get through because he was the biggest. But, I mean, he is a... How old is Julian? He's 13? He's 13 at the start. He's probably about 24 <laughs> by now. But I think he perpe- he's perpetually stays at 14. Yeah, so he's... 13, so 14, he's, He probably he? is, you know, big, but he's not the size of an adult. <laughs> well, it depends, because if you go by the illustrations, he's 42. Yeah, I mean, in the <laughs> illustrations, yeah, he's a 40-year-old man, but... <laughs> But still, <laughs> there's a bit later that he can hardly get through. I was really quite worried then. I was like, what are they going to do if Julian can't? Fit? At least you knew there was more books coming. It wasn't just the last one where they all die in a roof fall. <laughs> oh no, everyone else gets out. It's only Julian who can't. Yeah, and the next book is <laughs> four go to Billy Cockhill. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> four go to a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. But the casket's empty because they couldn't retrieve the body. <laughs> Gosh, oh. that's so <laughs> grim. Oh dear. Right, children's books. Remember? Maybe we've had too much water. We've gone mad too. Okay. <sighs> the secret way, which was claustrophobic. In chapter sixteen, Harry and Julian make the hole bigger so they can fit through it and into the tunnel beyond. <laughs> they reach a cafe. <laughs> they reach a cave with an underground <laughs> a cafe under the ground. <laughs> and it's just somebody there going, Oh, would you like anything to drink? And they're like, No thanks, we're very hydrated. <laughs> I, the menu. I listener, if I keep this in, I write notes and sometimes spell checker is not my friend and instead of cave it's written cafe. It depends how much of this madness stays in. I think a lot of this madness should stay in. It's a quite a mad episode. I've, I've enjoyed a lot of your... Um... Madness. Yes. They reach a cave with an underground stream <laughs> and two tunnels leading out. They find a white chalk arrow that Paul, the map drawer, left. It leads them down to another tunnel and to a blank wall, but another arrow points upward. George exclaims that she will climb up the wall and she ends up in a cave above and they find a brown leather bag. Everyone cries for Julian to open it, but there's no key. In chapter 17, they're about to leave when they spot chalking on the wall. It seems to suggest another way out of the cave. They find a very narrow tunnel and decide to take it. Dick suddenly remembers the large slab where he saw the rabbit. 
He asks Harry if he thought that might be where they would end up. They squeeze through but soon reach a roof fall. It seems really dangerous. But suddenly Timmy starts barking and they hear a bark. It's Jet. They scrabble through the rubble and shout for Guy. He calls back weakly. Guy is okay, just a bad ankle. Guy and Harry reunite and Guy is given a biscuit and chocolate. Good first aid. In chapter 18, Guy tells his story. He shouted at the baddies and one hit him and they made him go down the hole with them. He thinks he passed out and the men left him and they were gone. Julian is first aid trained and examines his ankle and bandages it. They set off. The men had left their rope and so they climb up it. They all go up the rope. It was difficult for Guy to get up for he was feeling weak but they managed it at last. The two dogs had to have the boys' shirts tied round them so that the rope would not cut them when they were hauled up. They didn't seem to mind at all. Timmy was very heavy to pull up because he appeared to think that he had to try and make his legs do a running action all the time (laughs) just to help. (laughs) All that happened was that he began to spin round and round as he went up. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Timmy. Oh, I enjoyed that a lot. I did. I actually, yeah, that did make me laugh in the book because I could just imagine his little legs going like the clappers. They're out in the open and they hear the baddies. They wait until they've gone down the hole and make a run for it. Julian takes their rope. Clever boy. In chapter nineteen, Julian doesn't reveal he's got the rope to the others. Guy can't walk, so they pop him on George's bike. Yeah, he can just pedal with one foot. <laughs> That's what they say. I thought he was going to sit on the bike and they'd have a person either side of him pushing. Yeah, because that would that keep would the bike a bit more sense. Because because also, he... what's he going to do with his bad foot while he's pedaling with the other one? Just keep it. I don't know. Stick it out. Put it up on the handlebars. <laughs> also, you can't you can't pedal with one foot unless you've got clips or foot cages. Yeah, and that was that was almost like. Oh no, how can we get Guy home? But actually, they could have just had him hobble. Or just not mentioned it. Anyway, they head to Kieran. Uncle Quentin comes to shout at them. But then they find Aunt Fanny and ask her if if they can ring the police and call a doctor for Guy. The inspector arrives and he inspects the brown bag and picks the lock. But the bag was completely empty. (gasps) In chapter 20, everyone was so disappointed They retold the entire adventure to the inspector and gave him a a copy of the footprint that Dick made. The inspector re-examines the bag and reveals its false bottom. (gasps) And in it is a blueprint and Uncle Quentin comes to look. Why? Why, no, it's impossible. Good heavens, no, it can't be. Am I dreaming? (laughs) Everyone gazed at him, surprised and anxious. What did he mean? What could it be, this blueprint? Uh, it's important then, said the inspector. Important? Important? My dear fellow, there are only two of these prints in existence, and at the moment I have the second one, which I am checking very carefully indeed. Where did this come from? Why, I simply can't believe it. Sir James Lawton Harrison has the other. There isn't a third. But there must be if you have one here and Sir James has the other, said the inspector. It's obvious there is a third. You're wrong, it isn't obvious, shouted George's father. What is obvious is that Sir James hasn't got his. I'll ring him up this very minute. Astounding, most disturbing. Bless us all, what will happen next? All right, drama queen. I also like, um, after he gets back from the phone call, he says, yes, Sir James's copy has been stolen, but it's been kept very hush-hush because of its importance. Good heavens, they never even let me know. And to think I spilt a bottle of ink over mine yesterday. Gross carelessness. Stolen! Just A, calm down, and B, 
don't spill a whole bottle of ink over something when it's one of only two in the world and it's so important that you can't tell us what it's for. Come on, Uncle Q. Come on, Quentin. But do you know what, Jen? It might not be a blueprint. It might be a marauder's map. Oh, yes. Oh, hello. (laughs) Uncle Quentin is a wizard. Yes, he is. I thought that there wasn't any evidence of it in this book, but there is. It's a marauder's map. (laughs) Well. Uncle Quentin is not going to tell them what it's a blueprint of. Julian tells the inspector that the men will still be in the tunnels as he has the rope, and the inspector is very impressed. In the 1970s TV version... The inspector goes, well, I'm surprised you didn't tap them on the shoulder and have them arrested. And Dick goes, we would have done, but we wanted to be home in time for tea. And they all laugh and that's the end of the episode. Oh, I love it when it ends with everybody laughing. (laughs) The twins are invited to stay at Kieran Cottage and they have a feast. The inspector rings to say they'd caught the men and there was to be a reward. Julian says that Timmy should ask for another collar as his ear is bad again. There's some symmetry to the adventure with it starting with Timmy in a collar and it ending with him in one. The end. Ah, a lovely tale. (laughs) There was quite a lot to this book. I used to think it wasn't particularly one of my favourites, but I've enjoyed it more than I enjoyed some of the other books that I thought I liked better. Do you know what I really liked about this one is that there there weren't a lot of adults. Like, the baddies were adults, but they didn't actually have to... have anything to do with them didn't get kidnapped by them didn't come face to face with them except that you know, country didn't woman even really speak to them ex- yeah except the country woman and i really liked at the end when they just left them down the hole and didn't have to bother <laughs> with them. yeah nobody pointing a gun at timmy yes that's always bad yeah it was it was nice real lack of adults book and i enjoyed it is there anything else you want to say about five on a secret trail I just have one question. Um, so the one mad boy, yeah, it was twins. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. It was just one mad boy. Yeah. Okay. That's that's the thing. All along, they find out that actually, <laughs> actually, it is twins because haven't they both hurt their leg? Didn't Harry fall down and hurt his leg, oh but he still God. went through all the tunnels? Yeah. And then guys bust his leg as well. <laughs> Wow, that must be some performance. Oh, that was what the cave fall was for. They're like, oh, Guy's on the other side, but it's just Harry throwing his voice. And then when they find Guy with his bad leg and they're all worrying, Mm. nobody really sees Harry, but they don't notice because they're worried about Guy. And when Harry and Guy are apologising to each other, it's just a mirror. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, wow. (laughs) What a book. (laughs) What a book. In this section, we talk about the TV versions. So, the 1990s version, to say it's not very good is uh, an understatement, but I'm trying to be nice. The acting seems terrible in this one. But Timmy does some good forlorn looks. Also, Jen, what's the subplot of this whole book? Uh, The one mad boy who's actually twins. Yeah, there's no twin. (laughs) Oh. There's just Guy. They cut Harry out completely. And he is just a bit grumpy because he's he's happy when he's not working and then he's grumpy when he is working. Oh, that's funny because he actually loves working in this one, but okay. 
Yeah, and there's no country woman. Oh, that's a shame. The best role in the book. Yes. And if anybody else has watched it and wants to correct me on this, fine. But I did watch it twice in order to check. The two men, in fact, they don't even have a female member of the gang in this. The two men definitely say that they're looking for a blueprint when the boys are spying on them in the cottage. But then the bag that the children find at the end when the inspector's looking at it... He says, oh, they were stolen from the British Museum and it looks like a medallion of some sort. Oh. So I don't quite understand that. That does seem a bit weird. But in this clip, you're going to hear the children discovering the lights in the night and then making a plan in the morning. Look at this. Could they have floated the lights with these balloons? Phosphorus lights, possibly. Look! Oh, look. I think we're being watched. There's someone on the hillside with field glasses, I bet. The sun's catching on them. It looks suspicious. All right, let's move off. Why don't you pretend to go home? If there is someone watching, we pack our things, then hide them and pretend to go. Then go to the cottage secretly tonight and watch. I don't think I'll do that. You don't need to, Anne. You and George can hide here and just stick an eye. I'm not being left behind. You must look after Anne, George. And it might be dangerous in the cottage. It's dangerous everywhere here. The 70s version starts with Anne going to find George and George takes Timmy's collar off straight away so his ear doesn't come up again. Okay. The leather bag having a false bottom... That became a running joke in my family, as well as Face at the Window. Actually, this episode has a lot to answer for when it comes to my childhood because it's responsible for a bad thing that happened to me. So in one scene, the children are stood at the side of the pond uh, with their towels wrapped round them. And Guy's like, or is it Harry? No, it's Guy. He's like, come in, the water's lovely. And they jump in and they sort of, throw their towels backwards and jump in forwards right which sounds quite simple but we were at a hotel with an outdoor pool and I tried this I would have been six or seven and my towel got caught around my legs and I got all confused in the water and you know when you sort of can't tell which way's up oh, when you're in the water the and it's horrible and I got very upset and luckily my brother was with me and he gave me his towel and walked me back to our hotel room so my mum and dad could deal with me. But I explained that I was trying to do what the Famous Five did and I think they probably, once they found out I was okay, they probably just laughed at me. Um, and I never tried it again. So this clip is the five discovering the lights and planning to leave and the bit with the country woman, in inverted commas, and it's edited because there's a section of no dialogue. But I hope you can hear why I thought the balloons were lit up from inside the cottage. Here we go. Hey, look! Over here! Balloons. Paper lanterns. They must have been lit up somehow from inside, then hung in the trees. No wonder Timmy couldn't find anything. So it wasn't ghosts after all. No, but someone wants us to think that it was. And that means that someone's trying to get us away from here. Why? I don't know. But there's one way to find out. How? Whoever it is that wants us out of here will be watching us carefully. If we go, then they'll come in themselves. Only this time, we'll be watching them. Hello, children. Are you leaving? Yes, we're going home. 
That's very wise. Strange things happen in that cottage at night. You hurry away. Take my advice. Thanks, we will. Come on. Bye. Julian, why did we tell a complete stranger our plans? You didn't think she was a real country woman, did you? Oh. She was probably one of the gang in disguise. Now they'll really think we're out of the way. Right. Now, this is the plan for tonight. Balloons. Paper lanterns. They must have been lit up somehow from inside. The cottage? No. <laughs> That's just the unspoken bit that you picked up yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe... Anyway, never mind. Um, yes, I know now, and that's what's important. You live and learn. What have we learnt from Five on a Secret Trail? Well, what I've learnt, and this was um, straight from George, dogs can't bear being laughed at. Apparently they so. They just can't. They just cannot bear it. I've learnt that it's twins, it's twins, it's twins. It's twins, 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 it's twins. Um, also, if people laugh at your dog, just run away to camp on the common. Just run away. Runaway camping. I've learned that I misunderstood the spooky lights for nearly 30 years. I learned it was twins. <laughs> it's, twins. it's twins. It's twins. Twins. Who is your hero of the book? Because I think you've put in a pretty good case for Dick, actually. Oh. Detective Dick. Detective Dick. Yeah, he was quite good. I was sort of thinking... One of the girls. I sort of think George. Yeah? Because I really liked it when it was just the girls at the start. And they were in it for the whole book, whereas the boys were only in it for the middle and the end. Mm. But also, George was the one that figured out the right slab when she was idly filling the pineapple can with water. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, lot of heroic behaviour in this one. Hmm. Let's go with George then. I'm always Let's happy. go with George because also, yeah, and she was really brave when they saw the face at the window, or even actually, she was frightened, but she acted brave for Anne, mm. and she did agree that they could go home even though she didn't want to. So yeah, I think George, and also hurt Timmy's feelings, hurt George's feelings, and yeah, we both identify with that. We were saying earlier we'd hate for anybody to be laughing at our pet. Yes, we would run away to the common. I would run away. <laughs> so, I can't believe that this was book 15, but what can we expect next time in book 16? In Five Go to Billycock Hill, we're going to meet somebody that you will like called Curly. Okay, a new friend for Jen. <laughs> Maybe Curly will make the honorary heroes list. You never know. Joining Ragamuffin Joe. Yeah. Two-time honorary hero. And Stitty Lenoir. Remember him? Yeah, all the way back in book four. Yeah, that's top. right. Finally, our final piece. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Famous5Pod. Our website is famous5pod.wordpress.com. You can email us. We do love to receive um, messages. We are famous5pod at gmail.com. And you can tell us which team you are. Um, I am hashtag team Anne uh, with a side of hashtag team Timmy. 
Um, I am always and forever shall be hashtag Team George. And if you feel like it, you can always head on over to iTunes and give us a little review. Let us know what you like about the podcast. We're 15 in and we've got six more books to go, but we're always happy to find out what people are enjoying because looking at the listener figures, there are quite a lot of you listening. Oh. Hello, and hello Australia especially. I had no idea the Famous Five was so popular over there, which is fantastic. Wow. Australian fans. Oh, do you know, as you said that, I see on the back of my book, this is obviously conclusive evidence. The price says, UK, £3.50. Australia, $8.95. There you go. Australian Famous Five fans, it makes so much sense now. If you are Australian and you are listening and you fancy sending us an email or, or writing a review, let us know how you came to read it. That would be really interesting, actually. How did you discover the Famous Five? That would. Yeah. I, that's sort of, that goes for everyone. How did you discover it? Also, do you know what I've just realised? that we would be really interested in that we haven't said about before. You send us pictures of your pets. <laughs> if you love them, if you love them like George loves Timmy, send us a picture. I love to look at pictures of other people's pets. Jen wants to see your pets, basically. So if you could oblige and send pictures. Please. Send a picture of your pet yeah. and how you came to know and love the Famous Five. And if you live in Australia, are the book well-known over there. And that, so that concludes our um, our needs from you, dear listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. That's your homework yeah. for this month. And I'm going to say that we'll read some out on the next podcast, but if we don't get any, we'll look very sad indeed. So please send some. We are genuinely interested. We are. And we don't want to look like we're just shouting into the abyss. <laughs> Oh, I hope not. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, and we'll see you next time for Famous Five, 16, Five Go to Billy Cock Hill. Flight Lieutenant Jeff Thomas. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye.